Good morning and welcome to Flat Out Recovery. Morning, boys. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. What's this about how we dress for the weather, Neil? Well, I was looking at the young man running here. I don't I think it's the blood what runs through him, you know, as mm. being such a young man. What is it? What is no bloodage. Warm-blooded or cold-blooded? I never know which one it is, I'm supposed to. I assume you're warm-blooded. Yeah, that's what I'm warm-blooded. Yeah. As we know, today it's frozen out there, and Ronnie's come along in his polo top and you're just looking like it's summertime. <laughs> it's making me feel cold. No, but the thing is, mm. what you got to remember is, me and you are at a disadvantage. We're the wrong colour for a start. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that one. We're more inclined towards warmer climes. Mm. We are. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, cool. So but cool. then he's kind of got heritage in him. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm more vampiric. Bangladesh. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. There you go. You see, something in common. Mm. Bangladeshi man in there. Obviously, it's worn off on him, isn't it? Like <laughs> yeah, as I've got the Bangladeshi warm blood, or and I've got the Irish drinking me because Irish as well. I've got the Scottish anger. And then whatever the English fans. <laughs> yeah, I assume it must be warm-blooded because you don't need anything else to warm you up. Mm. And you're just sitting there in a polo shirt. Yeah. Just perfect. It's just right. Is it just right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm bemused as you are, Neil. Like really, it's freezing out there. And I always have to remember, it's just come to me, like, Ronnie wears shorts right up until... We are aware of that. and <laughs> the there, death. Are, the there is now documentation of that out to the world as it's been recorded, Ronnie talking about his shorts. Yeah, I remember that, man. Like, I used to see him coming along these shorts and it's I'm like, actually surprised to see him in jeans today. I hate wearing jeans. It's just all comfortable and not this, that and the other. A pair of shorts and a t-shirt. I'm like, through that, flip-flops. Well, it's like your skiing outfit, then. <laughs> So when you go skiing, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, I just put my shorts on. Where are you going skiing? Well, I tell you what, my trusty flip flops used to get me everywhere in back in the day when I was on the death march for a drink or something. Thing else. is, when you're on the pop, you don't know what's on your feet. <laughs> you could be wearing snowshoes in June. You wouldn't notice the difference, would you? Just on the death march, as Ronnie calls it. The death march, yeah. Will I make it to the shop? Will I make it to the dealer? So when you used to throw that liquid down you, you must have, like, that was proper, like, heat coming out yeah, of you then. Yeah, You must have been sweating buckets. It's mad, it, it, it's crazy what that stuff can do to you. Hooch. Yeah, yeah. three hammers. Oh, God, end. no, don't They told me Frosty Jacks was bad for you, so I switched to three hammers. <laughs> <laughs> and that was obviously better for you, even though it's probably brewed in the same vat. Yeah. It's the same vat of chemicals. The bottle was always green, wasn't it? But the side was not green. <laughs> I'm not sure I noticed what colour the bottles were. But you know just the name, Three Hammers. Like. <laughs> Get hammered three times at once. White lightning and then there was oh, Frosty Jacks. Well, Frosty Jack implies you're going to die of hypothermia. Thinking <laughs> staying outside. Anyway, how was our week, Jan? I've had a good week this week. I had to put some action in mine to get a bit of gratitude and a bit of you can have your old life back if you want. It's free. A bit of gratitude, a bit of praying. And so I've had a really good week, a good turnaround to be fair. Good events. I've been busy as well at the same time. And I think it's to do with that as well, being busy. Because moving from a house of multiple occupants to a house of sole occupancy is a massive change. I didn't even think yes, realise the difference. You know, like that morning getting up and nothing gives you a lot of time to the way I put it is that you get to iron out the big creases but when you're in a 
a house full of noise, the little creases get missed, but suddenly those little creases are visible when there's no one around. Mm. To myself, yeah. Mm. And it's like, oh, actually, I've still got work to do here. And I've, which I understand that recovery is a lifetime thing, and, and that's good, because if I'd learned everything, it'd be boring then, wouldn't it? But yeah, the, the little nuts and crannies come out of the woodwork, and you can see them, and you can think, gives you a wake up call that you're still an addict, you're still an alcoholic and you still have behaviours and you still have all this kind of stuff going on in your head but you haven't got the noise of a house full of people to block it out mm. or to vent your anger on. Realise what I was doing in my old house, you know I was whinging about spoons and this and that and the other, but that was my internal release from whatever was going on for me. So I'd be like, you, this, you, Yeah, you, I was going to ask you about that. What's it like not having those petty day-to-day -day annoyances? Well, it was those things that, you know, drown out the noise in my head. Because on the one hand, yeah, I can see that it means that you don't necessarily focus on the me every day. Mm. And you can therefore project things onto them. Yeah. But having those other people there to just gripe about a bit is also almost part of a routine, isn't it? Of course, yeah, it's a routine. This is how the morning goes. This oh, God, they've left the top off the milk yeah. again. Or, yeah. oh, they've left cornflakes on the floor. Or, oh, what have they done now with the washing? Or, Why is this one still in bed? Why is that one not out of bed? Why is that one up so early? It's really well, looking at... If there's cornflakes on the floor, you don't know when to complain. You're like, oh, my God, was it me all the time? Unless you've got a ghost. Yeah, no, it's all right, man. My place is alright. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what about the, do, you, do you get lonely at all? Or sometimes I, I think no, I don't back. get lonely, but I get there's my wife again texting me on the phone. Not that I've got a wife. You ain't got time to get lonely with the wife texting. Um, <laughs> no, no. I don't get lonely because I'm alright for me and company to be fair. But what I do get is I feel like I should be doing something and. What on earth am I sitting here for? Why am I sitting here? I should be doing something to improve, enhance, get better at, or something, or move forwards. And sometimes you just don't have to do that, do you? You don't have to be doing anything really if you don't want to. I suppose you have nothing to compare to as well, because you haven't got those other people in the house. Because we make those comparisons subconsciously, don't we? Yeah. When we're living with other people. We do. And you're right, actually. Yeah, you're right. You've got nothing to compare to. Well, if you see somebody else not doing anything, you're thinking as well. Well, if they're not doing anything, I'm just going to chill out myself. Sort of thing. I think another thing as well, I realise that you, you you can you access your subconscious more, and it's the subconscious is where most of the stuff lies, like your behaviours. Well, for me, this is what I believe. I'm not saying that I'm, it's right, but that's what I think. And your subconscious is where it all lies, where mm. it all hides. Mm. I think that's what you can compare it to. If that makes sense, so like you know that stuff that you're kind of talking about, like maybe I should be doing something with me. The way it kind of comes around is that, well, I want to be here in it. I want to be here doing this, doing that. So I need to be doing something right now to be kind of getting to that place of doing that and doing mm. it. So sitting here right now, sometimes I'm all right with it, but I'm not all right with it because mm. I should be doing something. Because mm. if I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm missing out on something as well. And I think, what are they doing as well that they're not telling me? <laughs> Some good thing, yeah. Mm. Just by sitting here. Are they up to something? Mm. And they're, you know, it's still them, 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 isn't it? And it's like. I, I think what I'm trying to say is that you get told to take your time. Like, being with me, I'm kind of saying, I can do this thing. But I've got no evidence that I can do it yet. <laughs> so, for instance, now we've got this little thing where we're organising a little unity band. I'm chairing these little Zoom meetings and 
when you're seeing other people doing it, I said, I'm putting myself as half a champ because I can do that. Actually doing it now. Different story. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure if I can do it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like doing this because all of a sudden, because you see people do it in a format and like they're kind of like, well, our agenda today, um, if someone taking minutes, well, I'll take the minutes. Even taking the minutes. I don't know if I'm taking the minutes right. Do you know what you do? You just do it the way you feel the best way it suits you. Mm. You're the chairman or whatever it is, so you've got to do it the way you do it. And you know, you don't have to do it the way someone else does it. And no one's watching, really. I'm watching. You're watching. Subconscious. That's what I'm trying to say. That's subconscious. That's it. And having that relationship with that subconscious in a way where you're just trying to get the balance around it. Because I'm saying it on the meeting, Kai has attended a few of the meetings and I'm saying, yeah, Ben one kinda knows that if I'm doing this wrong or and I'll say it if you Ben I'm starting to really get conscious around the fact that I'm saying this a bit too much and I don't want people to kinda realise that I don't know what I'm doing but I have to own it at the same time but you're in that thing where really you should just let go and just go, right, this is how it is. I ain't done this before, so I'm learning as I go along. So if I make mistakes and you wanna pick me up on it, fair play, do it. If not, <coughs> let's get on with the show. And I'm saying that but what I'm saying to myself is something cut <laughs> So I'm voicing it, but, but I'm not believing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> I can't tell you because my head's all over the place at the minute. But it's not today. No. When he has me for a week. So. Uh, what's it like coming home to my now, as opposed to coming home when you were living with? It's it's always different. Like sometimes I love getting back. It's just nice to leave wherever I've been and go back to my own place so in the evening more so it's nice in the day so it can be different but it's just it's just a strange feeling it's just like you walk through the door and you go what this is it I'm not just saying everyone will get that when they're going to independent living or everyone gets it but it's just really odd I can't describe it to honest with you for me it was like right it's nothing changes when you walk through the door nothing then that's what weird like everything you, the way you've left it is still there nothing changes what actually do you do in your home? What do people do in their own home? Cook. Cook. Clean. Sleep. Sleep. Watch a bit of TV. Watch yeah. TV. Yeah. Not a lot of things there, is it, really? It's Rude. quite repetitive, isn't it? Yeah, it's very, very, very repetitive. It's like the same thing. I'll Watch. go in. Yeah. I know where I sit on the sofa. I know what channels I put on the TV. I know that if I have my... I don't smoke anymore, but well, I try, try not to smoke, but... And I can't smoke in there anyway, so I'm not saying that I do smoke in there, but if I decide to go downstairs to have a vape, I go downstairs to have a vape. It seems very monotonous, very same thing. A lot of our habits become automatic as well, don't they? Mm. It's just too, it's like a machine. It's just mm. like a machine is running. So it's like, hmm. Now I check the Brita filter on my jug. It's flashing now, so that means it needs changing, but I don't always change it on the first hour seat flashing I'll change it the next day and when I change that filter what I will do is I'll run the water through three times to make sure all the crap's out of it and then I'll start using the filter and I've got that kind of thing for everything that I do and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing and it's almost like I don't need a soul to be able to do what I'm doing if I could plug a battery in or something this thing would just automatically yeah. just live yeah. just be on pilot automatically just on auto <laughs> So the fridge, the, I know I put two sprouts in the smoothie along with one broccoli and one spin spinach and a bit of fruit. Mm. Same, same. So, not to say it's morbid and depressing because I wouldn't change it, I wouldn't go back. Just noticing I'm, I'm just a little bit like, what, what do people do? 
able to be able to. I mean, even if somebody's got a full-time job, for example, that's still monotonous, isn't it? Well, that's what I was thinking. I mean, his life is pretty well, hard. It goes anyway. back then, so I'm going backwards now from what you're just saying. It's life in general. Yeah. And then you start to question the, the meaning of life. Well, that's a deep conversation. Yeah. I like what you said about the sofa. You might have a three-seater sofa. I've got, you, I've got to, you ten people can sit on my sofa, ten. Yeah, ten. But you always gravitate to that same spot. That one spot. Every time. Mm -hmm. I think it's just inbuilt in most people. Yeah. What do they say? We're creatures of habit, isn't it? Creatures of habit. And then this morning I had this thing, I noticed in this podcast, not all Ronnie speaking today, by the way, but this morning mm -hmm. I, I had a realisation. You know, we're looking for life on other planets. Are we? <laughs> of course we are. <laughs> Oh no, Elon Musk is, isn't it? No, but can I tell you, I've come to the realisation... You're not going to Mars with Elon I've Musk. I've come to the realisation that we are so shallow-minded that there is life on virtually every planet out there. Probably a lot more common sense but than there is down there. we just think, because we can't see them on the surface, we think there's no life, but actually... Oh, they all live underwater yeah, on in Mars. in caves. You'd think it's crazy, but we adapt to our surroundings, so... In those planets, you can't live on the surface. The sun will burn you alive. So these things are living in underground Pops. cities. Not avatars. And if you like think that. how from the ground upwards, we only take up half a mile with our buildings, don't we? So that's half a mile. And these crusts are like 40, 50, 60 miles deep, probably a lot more than that. So you could have layers and layers. And so layers. it's kind of a bit like the clangers, but with lots of layers of them. We well, could have one layer, you could have two layers. Because the clangers layer. used to sort of come and out. live underneath the, the crust of the earth. Mm. And they can do that because it's a little bit cooler because not everyone's got the same ball of fire in the middle of the planet like we are. It's probably a smaller one. So I mean, has it not occurred to you, Ronnie, that actually there is probably life on all these planets and they've taken one look at us and thought, fuck that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we're not showing them anything. Yeah, we're not going to show anything to suggest that we exist. We don't want to engage with them. Yes, um, we was born right. It's not like someone gave us some big fat pack of tools to say, let's create this. We're just surviving, aren't we? We're surviving the best we can, the whole world. Obviously, the dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. And we were. And it goes through, we've had the Ice Age, the Bronze Age, the Stone Age, all that. We'll be back at it again. We'll of course, be back it'll be something caves. different. Our souls will be something different, you know. We might be all be bats in the next life or something, or cave things or something. It's not to say the humans, like the soul, dies, it just means that we become something different. In which case, what happens to Chuck Norris? Who's Chuck Norris? You don't know Chuck Norris? Chuck Norris can't no. die. <laughs> Chuck Norris thought the same for about 50 years, isn't he? He can't not die! Exactly He's unstoppable. <laughs> Someone posted million. something about him on Facebook the other day. Your fondest memory of Chuck Norris is, well, you know, you could turn back time with a roundhouse kick. He's still around, isn't he? Yeah, and he has looked the same yes. for 50 years. And that, and another thing they say, the dinosaurs was wiped out by one, Comment. one thing, right? So, out of all the billions, sure it of, wasn't Chuck Norris. How can we pinpoint <laughs> out of all the billions of years that the planet's been around and say, yeah, they all died by one thing? Do we know? Yeah. What do we know? It was a roundhouse kick. That's what did it. Oh, whoever this Chuck man sounds like a, a bit of I'm a appalled reader. that you don't know, Ronnie. I, I really am. And his chest hair's pulled out by Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, they've acted together, innit? Yeah. They've been, yeah. Um. Well, I'm not sure acting is the right <laughs> word, Neil. <now. laughs>
they kicked each other a few times. They've been on films together. And yeah. Enter the Dragon. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Enter the Dragon. Oh, there were some characters on Enter the Dragon. Come on. That was a movie. Did you ever see the guys who made Airplane? They made a fist take of Enter the Dragon called The Fistful of Yen. <laughs> it's got this really bad dubbing that's deliberate. And the fights are all really, really crappy. It's really funny. Uh, What's it called? Fistful of Yen? A Fistful of Yen. <laughs> it's part of a film called The Kentucky Fried Movie, which was their first thing that they made before they made Airplane. Yeah, I don't know, going back to all this kind of stuff, like, you know, recovering the world, recovering, and then I've got to relate it back to what I'm doing here right now, isn't it? Recovery. And you're talking about it all goes back into the planet. But it well, just changes. The planet needs a programme. Yeah, yeah, planet yeah. needs a 12-step programme. Yeah, because putting all these things, what we put into the planet, as we know, it's just polluting and destabilising it. Like, it, you know. it will, we will wipe ourselves out, that's, you know, that's what will happen, and mm. then the planet will be fresh again. What, kind of like rebooting a computer? Yeah. Nature will press a button. It reset. Reset. And I think that's already happened anyway. Whatever it may be, the prime thing for any of us as individuals is how we access what we do. Mm-hmm. And it makes it all the more pertinent to what we do here because we don't even have a clear access to suggest to people anything other than charitable or private institutions because mm-hmm. that's basically all it is with rehab isn't it mm-hmm. there isn't anything that's obviously all on NHS because it's not really part of the service if you think of what is offered on the NHS around alcohol and drugs what is that we're here for a charity yeah okay so charities run as a business but charities are run as businesses of course and you've got to be practical with something like rehab in that you've got to sustain staffing it and if organisations like Changes didn't exist, who would be picking this up? Who would be doing it? Would it be like it was in America in the 30s where you just had the rooms or they put you in a room in an asylum and threw away the key? And they came back having found the key 72 hours later to see if you were still alive. And if someone is struggling with this and they're listening to us now, yeah, go to your GP, mm-hmm. but we can't say with any certainty what your GP will suggest. But then certain cosmetic surgeries get priority if it's deemed to be psychologically affecting you. A lot of that depends on where you live. I had an ex-partner who's had MS and living in one area of the country you get nothing. In another area of the country you get certain things on the NHS that otherwise you'd have to pay for privately. Depends on where you are. And we have to try and transcend that when we're talking about addiction because we have to talk about places that we can get anybody into. And part of what Amos Next Door does is finding people somewhere. To fit either the cost or if they've got no finance. So places like where they can get supported living and maybe get a few little groups and stuff like that. My initial experience with trying to go through the NHS over alcohol, and this was 20 something years ago, when there were more things on offer, was that actually, even though there were things on offer, my GP's first response was to try and fob me off. Because, oh, he's young, he's just playing a bit hard. It was to try and fob me off as if, no, I don't really need to do anything with you. And I bet that's happening more and more now. Well, there's still that stigma, isn't there? Mm. I mean, like, even though it's classed as a disease now and an illness, 
there's still that stigma that it's self-inflicted. I think also with the stigma, you also got a kind of thing like with most illnesses, there's a process they go through in you know, public health England, isn't it? So we've got to kind of rule out this, and then you've got to look at that, and then you've got to go and see this person and that person. And it's such a process. And along with the alcoholism or, or the substances, where you've got to kind of see, like, is this person, as they say in, in that big blue book kind of thing, is he an alcoholic of our time? Our time, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? That's, so that's maybe not trying to throw you off, just maybe seeing, like, is there a few little other things we can do before you start accessing and taking resources, like, up? in the system you know because it's all it's all structured isn't it and sometimes i'm looking at the structure and i think that's oh, wrong because I, I know what's wrong with me and it told me i'm telling you what's wrong with me but in bedfordshire there used to be a kind of thing like you talk about it was used to be straight into the asylum if you go back to the morgue <laughs> so if you wanted a detox it was done in a mental health like that was it it weren't done in a kit so you've got to go into a psychiatric unit with people with all different layers of mental health issues yeah, you know, I just want a detox. Mm. I want a detox. Maybe you can know how recovery works a little bit. So I want a detox and then I'm going to go back into recovery. But you've got to go into this mental health. That's all they had to offer. Do you and think you that's indicative lucky. of the fact that they don't really know what to do with alcoholics and addicts? And I that they've found this kind of square peg in a round hole thing of thinking, well, we've got to detox them, but we can't put them in ordinary hospital. What about putting them in psych wards? It also indicates to me that there's not enough communication between GPs as the gatekeepers and places like us. There's not enough communication, but also with that, like you said, healthcare postcode lottery, what is the resources of that particular healthcare? Because what I saw when they formulated Public Health England, like, and then the structure around how they was going to like finance treatment centres and and all that stuff, because. When I've spoken to people 20, 25, if you went to your drug and alcohol service and you kind of said, look, I'm exhausted, I can't do this no more, I need treatment. People were going in and out of treatment centres like 15 times in one year. It was ridiculous. And then, like, you got to turn around, like, you know, they got to say, well, look, what's going on here? Because we're paying X amount of thousands times a, a go for this person. They've got to say, well, like, the treatment centre is a business. And like, even though like they might not pay all the money for the three months of treatment, if it's three months of treatment, they might say, well, we'll pay it monthly. But that person might leave after two, three, four days, and they've paid a month's worth of, which could have went to some. It's just money in the treatment centre's pocket now. Like you know, for somebody who ain't getting treatment no more, sometimes the treatment centres would say, no, we want half the money up the front, like for the three months, mm-hmm. and then they still leave within two, three, four days. They run out. No, I can't do this. Say so that balance is nigh on impossible because there's so much money was going to waste. But do you not think that there ought to be some kind of unilateral system in place for what GPs and their practices do for people who present with flat out alcoholism or addiction? Most definitely. And I mean, assuming I know what you meant by that, I think they definitely should be. Most of you know a system like a right. This is what happens when somebody comes in and says, "This is what's going on for me." Then there should be a like and a, therefore there ought to a be step. a schematic whereby there comes a point where they talk to rehabs, but that it's not immediate. Yeah, well, it, well, CGL now mm, that's the middle aren't of the like what they used to be. What well, you go there and you have to show them by coming back over and over and over again, mm. five six weeks before they will get funding for you to go into treatment 
that's in certain areas still. But in certain areas, they ain't How hard that. is that though? Yeah. To get that. to stay that to, committed to that. And yeah. by the time you've got that commitment, what time have you done? You might think, not knowing about the disease, think, oh, well, I've got a hold of this. Oh, maybe I don't need to go. I've just done five weeks. Not knowing the nature of the what disease you itself, which you'd learn when you do get into the treatment. But the other thing is, like, isn't that almost like some people might not make it back at all? It's what Neil said. It's absolutely not impossible to, to gauge it and what on mm. earth do you do. Mm. But locking them up in a, a psych ward, maybe that is an option for some of them because there's a lot of people that are taking these drugs and drinking themselves to death. And going into psychosis and things and presenting themselves in A&E with state of... Although at the moment, with the way things are in mental health, there won't be any beds. No? No, I think maybe, and it's just kind of dawned on me now, I've never really thought of it like this before, maybe like NHS should have like their own kind of treatment centres. So it's funded well, in a way... Of, okay, we're talking about Pine Scar here, but, mm. but if you did and you were funding a bed in an addiction ward the same as you fund a bed in a medical ward mm -hmm. what you were describing Neil about them paying all the money up front and it disappearing because the person leaves after two days it wouldn't happen because they get funded on a daily basis yeah we've got x number of beds in this ward and that's it yeah. and then when they admit someone bang that money's being spent but mm -hmm. when they discharge them someone else moves in very cost effective and, and let alone the reduction in the amount of hospitalizations because of drinking yeah. and taking yeah. drugs because if them. you did that you could then like you mentioned the progressive model Ronnie mm. if they were admitted you can then stage an initial intervention while they're in situ in the hospital and then you might even if you could find a room start running a day group with people while they're still on detox yeah. it sounds like it's just crazy isn't it we're Addicts and alcoholics are left to fend for themselves. You take care of yourselves, you get yourselves better, and you do, you know, help each other. And I think, are they looking at that possibly is working? So they're actually doing that? They are, actually are. That was part of the premise, like when public health thing, they came in and they saw that social enterprise and this stuff. So here, what we're going to do is, we don't mind giving you a nice little chunk of money to get going, but then we want you self supporting. Right, yeah. Yeah. and then we want you to take over this like Richard said where would I be without changes so like yeah we want you to start looking after like taking in these little bits of people and you sort it out but we don't mind giving you a but it's still a lot cheaper than this social enterprise word was they love it what it means is social enterprise that <laughs> we're just cheap we want it cheap yeah we want it on the cheap yeah. <laughs> we want you to provide a public service, service. but to do it for his shoestring do it so for it costs shoestring. us nothing yeah. So do our job for us, please. Right, right. They'll give you a check. AA, a victim of. If you might need to delete this, but he's AA, a victim of his own success. Yeah, they seem to be doing all right. There is a problematic part to this, though, because with people going into some form of treatment, whether it's they do it with an organisation like Changes, or whether they go and live in a dry house environment mm -hmm. that isn't as an inpatient, as it were. Mm -hmm. They don't do it in the one house over X number of weeks. After that, it is very much either you do it with AA, NA, CA, or you don't. And there are thousands and tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who come out of the treatment scenario, whatever it may be, and it's sink or swim around the rooms and most of them get lost. And yeah, AA is to a degree a victim of its own success mm. in that 
it functions entirely independently yeah. without any funding from anyone without else. Funding. And therefore, a lot of other organisations just think, oh, well, it's there. It's always been there. Mm. It works for people who keep at it. Mm. It therefore becomes an easy thing for a GP to say, well, why don't you go to it? Yeah. That's it. I have um, okay. you go to them? <laughs> but what we need is this clear scheme, a clear schematic for people of saying, well, if you do this, then this, then this, then this, and then you start going to AA regularly when you had it. That's exactly what, and that's the way I went And that it. is what's missing more than anything else. That little being taken out of society for me for eight weeks, whatever it was, I needed that. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I needed that. Yeah, I remember. I was like, what on earth is going on? I didn't know how to live without drink or drugs. I never did live without drink or drugs. I'm 14. I picked up a spliff mm, until too. two years ago. I stopped taking something or drinking something, and it's like, what do you have? I mean, you imagine being pissed on a night out, and you look back and you, I can't remember that. Well, that's practically my whole life. And going into that treatment centre, it felt very safe, and I trusted the people that was telling me about what's the correct way to live and what's not the correct way to live, because I didn't know anything else. Fortunately for me, they, they seemed to know what they were talking about, and I picked up, and then, as in picked up life ideas, you know what I mean? And then, then I continued with the rooms. And I needed the rooms as well, because without the rooms, I don't think, I don't know if that would lasted long. So you need all parts of it. Yeah. But some people say, you can do it without going into treatment. But I don't know. for me, I needed it. Mm. Because I actually need to have a complete change in the way I live from the second I woke up and opened my eyes, to when I got back into that bed to go to sleep. I needed to learn how to function, not how to stop drinking, how to function. I used to be very envious of these people who'd walk into the rooms and would do it mm. just in the rooms. But I'm ultimately it came for me, it came down to, okay, so-and-so did it in the rooms, so-and-so's managed to do it in the rooms, but I can't. Mm. Yeah. And I know that I can't, and I know that I need someone to hold me up for a few weeks before I can even begin to engage with that mm -hmm. and I have to accept that because otherwise I'm going to be one of those people that jumps into the rooms and falls flat on my face mm. and cause all sorts of for me again it would have been like behaviours and stuff like the way I talked to people I spoke the way I thought about them and all that kind of stuff all that was re and yet again if we go back to this it talks about us with our fine tuned state of mind so all them complexities what come with that. People different stages, different places. Some people have got a very fine-tuned state of mind, but yet still need holding up, Richard. That initial mm -hmm. month or so, just take off a few of the edges, and then like a start coming through the rooms. Some people just come into the rooms, still got a lot of rough edges, still got to kind of do the nine to five, still got to kind of maybe keep the 2.4 children happy and the boss happy and get the house bills paid and and they still you know it's, it's different bags we come with the different kind of mindsets and i think this is where everyone can get it you know some people kind of say well say you knew my mum kind of thing my mum's like ronnie done it so like you know ronnie's doing really well at the moment what you you and ronnie wanted to your first meeting together uh, and all of a sudden you're drinking it why ronnie's not uh, my, why can't you do what ronnie's yeah. doing <laughs> you know? i had that problem with when i was younger you know they used to think oh, well ronnie seems to be doing all right. my friends hated me by the time i'd met the parents <laughs> there you go. that was a blagger i was a blagger you was a blagger all the parents <laughs> thought you was like the sweet one yeah. look at ronnie why aren't you more like ronnie that kind of thing i was the one that got him on the yeah, fucking drink and, um, 
the pills and the yeah, ecstasy. Yeah, and these so-called normal aliens, when they're looking at us and they're thinking, I'm thinking, what is wrong with you people? Like, you know, can't you, can't you just plainly see like this stuff ain't working for you? Like you need to stop doing it. And we're like, no, 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 we're all right. <laughs> I'm all right over here. I heard someone do a show yesterday, seventeen, going, you know, a young lady being put to prison for three and a half years. She said, I got there, and I, I was all right in prison because. I felt yeah. like I fitted in. Well, I didn't yeah. see you. I didn't yeah. see you. Yeah. And, was you there? Yeah. <laughs> that was did, brilliant. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? And she put all that step one stuff out there. And she was cracking, The man. consequences, yeah, and not being able to... They blame you for any a normal alien looking from the outside. Can't you see? You need to stop. <laughs> Maybe you need to stop drinking. No, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm all right. What? You mad? Yeah. I'm all right. And then, like, some other people can see it a lot more clearer, but might not be able to stop. Then forget what the nature of the beast that we're dealing with, but maybe they're scared because then it becomes regulated. And oh, this one keeps failing, and the NHS are doing this, and they're not doing a very good job because this one failed, this one's failed, and then the whole of the country is like, we're wasting our money on this section of the NHS because they look eighty percent of them are failing. Shut it down. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it comes down to—the bottom line, isn't it? Because it's still a business at the end of the day. Oh, oh yeah. Everything's still oh, a yeah, business. Oh, yeah, this is it, isn't it? Oh, well, before we get into the... Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> Pfizer. Pfizer. <laughs> the reality is that if people are going to get into recovery, they have to be helped into recovery. And no matter how much I want to get into recovery, the state I was in, I wasn't going to do it without someone pulling me along. Someone needs to plant a seed, even at, at the You've got to have a seed planted, even when you're still off your face. I spoke to someone last night who came through a form of treatment, got clean and sober, relapsed. And what we were talking about last night was how that relapse made step one mean what it was meant to mean. Yeah, yeah. It was as if the initial step one from the treatment before was just theoretical. Mm -hmm. And that even though all the evidence was there, mm -hmm. the person couldn't quite see it and feel it. Whereas having that relapse meant that they could. Mm -hmm. And that happens to a lot of people. And that's why we have to have these guiding hands yeah. ongoing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why AA and NA and CA and so on always need to be there. Mm. But what worries me about the treatment process and the recovery process in this country, I mean, I'm only going to speak about this country, I don't want to theorise about elsewhere, mm. is that it's assumed now that most of the load in dealing with addicts and alcoholics is going to be covered by the third sector. Yeah, It's assumed that organisations like Changes will pick up what the NHS isn't doing. Mm. It's assumed that apart from the few private places that cost a fortune, there will be rehabs that are run as charities, Yeah, which provide either cut price treatment or free places in terms of dry house accommodation. Mm. It worries me that that's taken as red as if, no, we don't need to provide anything socially because we've got these rehabs all over the country. Mm. And a lot of people, like, I think if a lot of people really knew how a lot of rehabs were earning their money, I think, they'd, I think there'd be a lot more uproar, to be honest. A lot of people just kind of think like it's funded by the private individual. A lot of these, what I kind of call more economically priced treatment centres, I think they'd been shock horror how it's kind of all come around. But it comes back round to what we kicked off with, like, you know, what Ronnie was talking about, how the planet is being kind of looked after. And then, like, I think it reflects on how we look after society as well. It all kind of goes hand in hand, this kind of thing of that. Until we, you're suffering from it, 
with a nearest or dearest or, or on a personal level. A lot of people who are dealing with the isms, the um, substance misuse, the addiction issues, it's like you said earlier, it's all self-inflicted. You know, when do we stop? It's a really big catch-22. So, for instance, talking about like being incarcerated, like going to prison, how much finances goes into like allocating a prisoner uh, their first two weeks like within the system? For I'm um, taking them maybe a bit of cheese and bacon out of Asda or Morrison's or whatever, constantly stealing, and the judge says, well, look, you're tying my hands, I have to incarcerate you. But yet, the amount of finances will go into that for somebody who's stealing it. The thing is, we don't it's have an fund. emphasis on treatment, we have an emphasis on punishment. Crime, yeah, punishment. Um, yeah. Treatment and punishment should not be in the same methodology. Mm. And rehabilitation should not be a form of punishment. Rehabilitation should be a form of proactive work to treat the individual for what they're doing mm. to themselves and or to other people. But we don't have that perception in this country. In this country, it's always about punishment. It's always about, oh, you're a drunk, therefore you're wrong. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. stealing things from supermarkets, therefore you're wrong. A lot of the petty theft going on now isn't just addicts and alcoholics, it's also people trying to cope with the cost of living. Yeah, yeah, that was highlighted. And there are all sorts of factors for why people get into petty crime. And they're not as cut and dried as, oh, this is someone committing a crime. Mm -hmm. You get kids who are being bullied in such a way or harassed in such a way that they're stealing things in order to cover paying off the bully. Mm. There's all sorts of shit Different that's levels. underneath why people commit crimes. Not everyone is Don Corleone. Not everyone is an out-and-out wrong'un. And if we insist on having this punitive model and also, like someone mentioned stigma earlier on, if we still have this punitive idea of going to rehab is a punishment, going to rehab is what you do because you've done everything wrong, then we're actually sticking hurdles in front of people before they even try to recover. Yeah. Because you've got this thing in your head to think, right, this is actually, the reason why I'm happy to do this is all negative. Whereas the thing with rehab should be, no, actually, I'm going to learn how to live differently. I'm going to do the very thing that you were describing earlier, Ronnie, which is find a new way to live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't do that just by going out to one AA meeting. Mm -hmm. I can't do that just by having someone come around and do a 12-step call. Mm -hmm. I can't do that by just trying not to do whatever it was I did every morning for the last 30 years. It's a transformation. Massive. It's massive. And a transformation should not be viewed in any way as a punishment. And that's one of the biggest things we need to get away from. Yeah. Right, this year's first dilemma. Mm. I think you like it. You discover your mate has been keeping compromising pictures of other people from rehab in the rooms with a view to using them for blackmail purposes. He suggests you go into business together. Do you A, tell him to bollocks and leave it there. B, tell everyone else he's a stitch-up merchant. C, tell him you want a 50-50 split and give him a list of your preferred targets. <laughs> D, start collecting information on him for a dossier to give to the police. E, agree, then pre-warn his targets every time. Well, I don't think there's an answer in there that I'll choose. 
Is there not? No. Well, it depends how my finances are at the time. <laughs> 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 no, depends how you're doing in the bank, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 it might be onto an earner, yeah? Because I found out all I've got to do is be a silent partner. I'm just like, yeah, well, and tell him how much I'm expecting. Like, you know, you've got to hit some targets here. Yeah? You know about souls. <laughs> KPIs. <laughs> 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 There's not an answer there, Ronnie. There's no correct answer there, is there? There really, is. what you would have to do is explain to him the nature of his wrongs. <laughs> I wouldn't presume to judge him that way. I'd just tell him to bollocks. <laughs> okay, that one then. <laughs> that will do. Bollocks. I'm waiting for. Yeah, I think, Ronnie, if you go into the, telling him the nature of it, is it really your job to do that? It's not. But Even though what he's doing is that's not a real. Well, that's what I'm saying. What is the correct answer for that? Because. You can't. Would you tell the people that he's got the pictures of? Look, this guy's got pictures of you. Just letting you know. I'd take <laughs> advice on that one because actually, while it's. I'd have my sponsor. Yeah, because while you would, I suppose, conventional wisdom would say don't get involved. Yeah. There's also the. But if I don't say something here and he does start blackmailing mm. and I know about that's it, the book what book. does that make me? And that's why I picked this one because actually you're caught between two stools, aren't oh, you? Yeah. Because. If I'm living in a dry ass environment and I know that someone else is drinking and I don't say anything, that means I'm colluding. I've had this. And it means I'm concealing things that is potentially dangerous. Yeah. And with this, if I conceal the fact that I know he's going to blackmail her or him mm -hmm. and I don't pass it on, mm -hmm. I'm damaging that person for not revealing that information. Yeah, exactly. So. And yet, is it really my place to intervene? Yeah, like I'm business. playing God. It's none of my business. Well, that's wrong as well. So, it's very, so what, this is why we have a sponsor. Put the, the saying, put the monkey on someone else's back. <laughs> Pass the buck. Pass the buck. Pass the buck. Pass the buck. I don't know what Justice Klein's got to say about this one, because you're pretty cut and dry when it comes to well, things. Well, to be honest, I mean, in this instance, <laughs> I think I'd be thinking about how I can wrap him up in chicken wire and throw him, but I'd need to get the compromising material in case he's anything on me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because if he's got stuff on everyone, I can guarantee he's probably got stuff on me. Like maybe find out if he's part of an organisation and tell the his the yeah. support. You know, by you the could way. do that anonymously. Anonymously, yeah, write a letter. Yeah, it needs to be outed. But yeah, which way? And obviously, you could mm. do it on this program if you wanted. To, <laughs> you know, do you know anyone who's blackmailing anyone? Nil. There's. Are we going to talk about blackmail? Anyone blackmailing? Anyone? The real correct. We will expose you. <laughs> the real correct answer to that is your speech to your sponsor, isn't it? In yeah, the absolutely. world that we're in, yeah. in the yeah. environment that we're in, you speak to your sponsor. Yeah. If you want to follow the traditions, the steps, the principles, and all that, it's chat to your sponsor. Yeah, inevitably, and, and we all have situations come up where I get them where I just think I don't know. I don't know what to do. I kind of feel like I, what I ought to do, but I can see two answers. Mm. I think I need to phone a friend. Or oh, you ask the man upstairs, do you say the serenity prayer? Mm. And then yeah. whatever hits you. 50-50, mm. yeah, like yeah. take the money and then take grass him up. Spin the wheel. <laughs> Spin the lucky wheel. <laughs> I'm not sure God should be advising you on your roulette habit now. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, no, I'll pray first, spin the wheel, and then like, yeah, whatever he says, that, that's him in it. Oh, is that the bit they cut out <coughs> in the filming Wheel of Fortune? That every time when he's just about, there's someone going, that's it. I'll do a topic meeting with and the person who finishes, who does the share, the following week, he picks a number between 1 and 21. And sometimes what you get, you get the same number mm. like, coming up ah. time and time again. 
something like we was kind of talking about dropping it a number like you know, if the, no, and then like maybe change I said but you're playing God there aren't you, you know I mean, if it's meant to be it's meant to be kind of thing yeah, but how many numbers are there 21 numbers why did you just take the number out in, oh you see but, well, are we mm. playing God though no <laughs> No. no, just making it a new subject for next week, a new topic for next week, the following week. Are you playing God? I don't Surely know. not. Neil playing God. We had <laughs> we had one inferiority, and it kept on coming up till people was getting a bit sick of this inferiority. Oh. Yeah, and um, but there you go. You could just say, oh, I don't know, you're confused. Well, is there any such thing as random? There's yeah. nothing you can random. Calculate everything. Well, you know, on the roulette, if you if you do it like over a hundred million times every time it landed and put a marker. Every number will come out roughly about the same to, to within a certain amount. Well, yeah, roughly. But then the thing with probability theory is that you're basing it on a, a short-term thing initially, aren't you? So if you're spinning a roulette wheel, that will not even out over the course of the first 5,000 runs, will it? It won't even out there. Oh, no, no, Over no. a million. Yes, yeah, so it would of never... Of course it will, yeah. because probability comes down to... Over a million, evens it would all at that. least come out 500 times, yeah. but you'd have to get to quite a high number for it to have all come out Because if you flipped times. a coin a million times, mm. OK, there'd be disparities there'd be at a, some point, yeah. but ultimately we'll probably even out. Does that make sense? Mm. Well, that's what I meant. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> I, and the equation to infinity is divided by two. I've been kind of saying that a lot of times now, and like even my thinking's none of my business sometimes. None of my business, like with this dilemma. That's just not nice, is it? It's it's not you nice. Like, you could just say, look, that's none of my business. Yeah. <laughs> well, not as a person to think about. Think about what you're doing. Do you think I suppose it's also right? the fact that blackmail is criminal. Yeah, it's, it's a criminal offence. To begin with, taking, like, you know, getting hold of the materials, he's mostly done it in some unlawful mm. way, and then to bring a, a second count of. How do you know he did it unlawfully, though? They might. They might have post, post well, and what about the people that haven't got a sponsor let's work on that basis they haven't so you haven't got a sponsor so what you could do is say to the guy look what you're doing is wrong and unfortunately i'm going to have to tell your superiority or whatever you call it i am going to have to tell them that this is what you you're going to do well it's or the other answer is just tell chuck norris <laughs> Who's then this, then, who's then this it would just be resolved, <laughs> wouldn't it? Who's this just like that. So Ask Chuck. All I know about this Chuck now is he can do a karate chop and, and that karate chop to remove no, no, the hair. On. Time goes backwards when he does a roundhouse kick. You know, like when Superman went round. When <laughs> Superman went round, <laughs> round and round, round. round and got the world spinning back to turn back time. <laughs> That's it? what happens when Chuck Norris does it. Like, so fast, you, you never see it. And the world just stops spinning for a while and he slows. They can't even put him in slow mo. <laughs> anyway, gentlemen, miraculously as ever, we have run out of time. And on that <laughs> fine note, we will love you and leave you. If you have heard anything that has resonated with you concerning yourself, someone you know, someone you love, someone you work with, anybody that lives in your street or the next street or the caretaker's cat or whoever, then do seek help. There is plenty of it out there. And while we have been talking about discrepancies within public services and private services and rehabs and charities, there are plenty of places where you can ask for advice. The thing about having a logical progression into recovery is that sometimes you have to find the steps for yourself. And when you do find someone that's willing to guide you, grab it. We'll be the world still here. So have a wonderful week and we'll be back next week. So it's good night from me. Good night, night. Goodbye. Goodbye. Take care.